0: I'd like to look uh, back uh, this evening really uh, at Exodus chapter 12, but bearing in mind uh, that John speaks of Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and also words that we find in 1 Corinthians 5, where Paul says, For Christ our, even more specifically, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. And so it's really looking at this, uh, the aspect of uh, expectation that the Old Testament, uh, prepared for and was expecting jesus to come very specifically not just in kind of vague messianic terms that yes a savior would come but we've got the passover meal itself and uh, so much of the symbolism in that you can just almost directly apply to jesus it's a, it's a very thrilling passage to read i preached from it before here you have heard uh, i'm sure many sermons on it but uh, coming back to it, i never cease to be uh, thrilled and excited and challenged by it uh, because it reminds us uh, just of the great purpose of God and the great plan of God in uh, preparing us for the coming of Jesus in the Old Testament. And there's so much in the Old Testament, you know, there's so much good in the Old Testament, so much that is uh, a paradigm uh, of salvation and, and of God's work. And you can just see God uh, in it, working, and preparing and getting ready uh, for the coming of Jesus in ways that we can't really, we just can't grasp how intimately uh, God knew uh, what Jesus would come to do. And was, even with all the clear teaching of the Old Testament, a surprise even to the angels uh, in the way that Jesus did come. But I think uh, just by way of uh, a brief introduction, couple of things that i just want to mention one one being the reality of divine judgment uh, and something we can never get away from uh, because exodus very much is uh, uh is real obviously but it's, the truth in it is symbolic of the reality of divine judgment that god judges sin god judges rebellion and, and god judges uh uh an attitude of pride and arrogance against himself. That comes very clearly through in the whole teaching of uh, the plagues that uh, were afflicting the people of Israel and uh, how there was a kind of progressive judgment there that uh, finally ended uh, with uh, death, the death of the firstborn. Uh, And interestingly, a judgment which God makes clear to the people of Israel is universal in its effect and that they themselves although different because they're the chosen people of God, the covenantal people of God, need also to be covered uh, in the saving work of God. They need to be redeemed by God and saved by that uh, covering of, of, of uh, the Passover lamb and the shed blood and the blood being in the lintels. That, that all needs to be something they uh, recognize and see and uh, that that is a picture for them, that they come under God's provision and God's safety. And the outwith of that, there is no hope and there is no life. So that, that's a reminder. I think just by way of introduction, it's a reminder to ourselves. Uh, I hope that we don't, but it's very easy, I guess, for us to uh, drift into some kind of pride that we're better than other people and that we don't deserve what other people deserve from God and that somehow we are special Uh, at that level because there's something about us that's special whereas God's making clear then and makes clear now that death is really uh, the instinctive reality that comes to all humanity and that our only hope is to be covered uh, in the rescuing work of uh, God uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And and the uh, the kind of uh, unbelief and the, the arrogance of Pharaoh is again uh, symptomatic of so often the kind of arrogance and rebellion that we battle against, uh, against God, you know, and the independence and the self-centeredness and all of these um, exacerbated sins in the life of Pharaoh and uh, focused in a very real way uh, are nonetheless issues that we battle with and we struggle with in our own lives that uh, remind us that our trust it needs to be in God to cleanse us from them and to break that, the, the power of these things in our own lives. So I think the reality of judgment against sins is a very significant uh, introductory statement uh, before we look at the Passover lamb. And it remains a really important introductory statement when we're talking about Jesus and the cross. You know, we don't want to speak about that. We don't want to speak about God's judgment. We, want to, we don't want to speak about the wrath of God. These are all unpopular and, and unpalatable truths for humanity, particularly society in which we live, which is kind of quite an independent, um, quite arrogant uh, society that's, that's done away with all these concepts of God and no need for that. But when we we're talk, we going to talk about the cross, we have to be, we have to be people who are willing to recognize justice and judgment and i think a good thing to do is to learn to stand in front of a mirror and learn how to speak about the the judgment and the justice of god in practical and in real ways that people will at least grab a handle of not in a kind of um careless way where they can throw it aside yeah well that's just you talking about the kind of god you've got but where we we wrestle with the issues of of justice and the, the feelings that people know within themselves between right and wrong and that we can point them to a God who ultimately has that ability and that right to judge between right and wrong, and to whom we must give account. Otherwise, everything begins to collapse and fall apart. So, the importance of, of, of judgment is, is very real as we come to the Passover lamb. But also, this is the importance uh, of what is stated here about a new beginning, and uh, how important a new beginning is in this story. This is really that I means a great story great, it's a great account and there's some wonderfully clear parallels between what happens here and kind of between the Christian life Um, and and this is a story about newness and about a new life and the Passover the the Passover which was instituted here by God uh, is very much in the context of given and to be remembered in the terms of newness, so much so that uh, the the initial month of uh, the Passover celebration was to become their January it was to become their first month of the year. It was to be marked that much because it was significant. So he said, this month, verse 2, is to be for you the first month, the first month of the year. It's a new start, a new beginning. And in verse 15, it says again, for seven days your teeth bread uh, and uh, made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. Uh, start something fresh. Because you know what it was with the yeast. Uh, the yeast was used uh, from the bread, and it was taken from a loaf of bread, and it was taken out of the loaf of bread and it was stuck into the new batch because the yeast within it was enough to make the new batch rise. And so there was this continuity. Don't look at me if you're bakers and know something better than that. I'm sure that's very roughly what happened. Uh, but what happened uh, uh, with the, un- and the reason for it being unleavened bread was because there was no yeast in it. And they didn't take anything from the old loaf and put it in the new loaf to make it rise. So it was unleavened flat bread. It was pita bread. And it didn't have any yeast in it. And so that was to be symbolic of a new start. Don't take anything from the old life. There was nothing sinful or wrong about yeast in itself. But, of course, it it became synonymous with the sin, the yeast of sin. Don't allow the leaven of sin to come in and and destroy your life. And so we find that great uh, newness that's spoken of here. It's like a, 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 a starting all over again. You're coming from slavery. You're in Egypt from slavery. You're going to be free. It's like moving from death to life. You have a new calendar and uh, a new experience. You're going to have a new experience of God and his grace and of his love in your life. And that obviously is uh, very clearly pal- paralleled uh, with the gospel and with, with uh, the life of Christ. And In, in 1 Corinthians 5, where I mentioned briefly at the beginning, it talks about, it talks about dealing with the, the old stuff that you need to get rid of. And it says, look, your boasting's not good, Paul says to the church in Corinth. Uh, don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Maybe I was right. Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let's keep the festival not with the old yeast, the yeast of, what is it? The yeast of, and it's clearly a picture, it's an illustration, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. So we've got a lovely picture there of something very physical and tangible and real and uh, uh, foody, and becomes spiritual. So it takes the, the, the physical reality and makes spiritual truth of it. And takes the whole idea of bread and then you could expand it into the bread of life and Jesus and all these things. So we find the Bible just just layer upon layer of clear, beautiful pictures and illustrations and and movements from, from reality into spiritual uh, messages and truth for us. And and it's just a good introductory comment, isn't it, that in Christ that we have that same newness, that it is like a rebirth. It is we're moving from darkness to light when we come to Christ, from death to life, from slavery to freedom. It might not be as dramatic as it was physically for the Israelites from Egypt. It might not be as dramatic as some testimonies that we hear, people moving from darkness to light. But nonetheless, these are all spiritual truths for us. And as we appropriate God's grace in our lives, we carry on living in this newness so you might have been a Christian for 35 years, but the Holy Spirit may be saying to you tonight, get rid of that leaven of sin that has just become uh, rather significant in your life. It's become rather old style, old, heart un-Christian living. Get rid of the wickedness. Deal with it. Start afresh again. Become new again. Deal with the greed and the pride. Be sincere. Be holy. And there's this ongoing newness it's not just a once for all it's not this isn't really just talking about justification it's talking about sanctification it's talking about our ongoing living as well that we're to we're to keep on getting rid of the yeast of the old life we're to keep on battling against these things these things are not uh, for us to uh, uh, allow in our lives we're to have a spiritually unleavened life free from the leaven of sin as we come and apply to the living God for cleansing and uh, for renewal. Always a case of going back. And it's great that the Passover is parallel to the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is that reminder to us, as oft as you do this in remembrance of me, going back, remember, remember, remember. Because you're prone to forget, and I'm prone to forget, these basic truths of getting rid of, so you've got the battles And the realities of pride and arrogance and selfishness and greed and lust and impurity uh, uh, that needs to be worked out by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So, newness is a great biblical theme that is introduced in in many ways here. But also, of course, is the preparation for uh, the Passover and uh, the Passover lamb. I just want to look at that for a minute in this chapter. It's, It's such a beautiful section just from the beginning of chapter 12 uh, to verse 11 which just speaks about the preparation of the lamb and the preparation uh, for the lamb so we see one or two things that we will then parallel to Christ because that is speaking of who Christ is and why he's come and the importance of that tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family. One for each household. Personally chosen. This Passover lamb uh, was to have been chosen by each family. It wasn't a hierarchical thing. Uh, It wasn't just the priest that chose the lamb. It was the people that chose a lamb for their own household. And it was one that was to be Taken by each household. And if there was a household that was too small, if your neighbours just had a wee old lady and an old man and maybe no children, then they were to come under your household. And uh, you were to take that and share it with your nearest neighbour, having taken into account the number of people that were there. So there's this sense of the Passover lamb being personally chosen. And uh, to be individually eaten within that family, there was both a corporateness and individuality, which we'll uh, look at uh, in a moment as well. But there was a provision uh, for all. For all the people were to be provided for. All the people were to be involved. All the families were to be involved. There's a beautiful kind of um, uh, implicit covenantal Theology coming through here about the families coming under uh, the redemptive work of God here. Nothing and no one was to be left out. And this Passover lamb uh, personally chosen was to be perfect. It was to be perfect. Um, Verses 5 and 6 remind us of that. The lamb you chose... You choose must be year old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats, take care of them till the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. So there was this this uh, already a symbolism of cost. It wasn't to be the runt of the flock. It wasn't to be the wee rubbishy one that was sick and ill and that, well, I'll just get rid of it anyway. It was to be the very best lamb that they had uh, a one year old without defect absolutely uh, you know to look at and in every way possible uh, without flaw and perfect uh, kind of kind of fully grown i'm not sure of the the actual kind of realities of a one year old being fully grown in terms of lamb but certainly by by one year old uh it's no longer kind of skipping about in the daffodils it's it's almost a fully grown sheep by that stage. The Highlanders here might question that. Uh, but that that is, it was, that is kind of prime at that level. And then it was taken and it was kept for four days. Kept and examined, cared for and fed in the family. And it was to live in the family uh, uh, and fed within the family for four days. And from the very moment it was there, it was an innocent uh, marked out for death. It was never going to become the pet lamb, but it was in the family. And it became known in these few days uh, as as the the lamb that uh, God had said was to be set apart. Uh, So there was something very immediate about that, wasn't there? Something very real, something very uh, costly A great visual lesson, particularly for the children in a family when they would have seen this lamb and maybe even become uh, remotely uh, attached to it in that time. But then we're told in verse 6 that uh, the lamb was to be taken out and slaughtered at twilight. And uh, then uh, the blood was was to be used and uh, the lamb was to be eaten. So you've got this this picture that is developing uh, where clearly this year old lamb in the home which God has given directions about is a substitutionary. It's doing something on behalf of somebody else. It is teaching the people that it's life for life. Okay, their life is going to be saved. The life of their firstborn is going to be saved because this substitutionary, perfect lamb is going to be uh, slaughtered in the place of their son. Uh, so it's symbolic of the judgment that was staying upon the Egyptians but was going to be kept from them. It's saying that there is a price to be paid for justice to be won and it is to be paid and their sin is to be atoned for in the... Uh, through this lamb this substitutionary lamb and the blood was to be taken as was to be as it were sealing their homes it was to be placed on the lintel the top and on the sides of the door as a very again very visual picture and there's much more you could say about that and uh, everything the different things that went on with it but it was there as a symbol um And the lamb in itself was to be roasted and was to be eaten. All of it was to be eaten with bitter herbs. It was to nourish the people. It was to prepare the people for a journey that they were going on. Uh, So it wasn't just just sacrificial. It wasn't just substitutionary. It was to be practical. It was actually to be eaten because they were then going to leave that very night. They were going to leave Egypt. They were going to leave the place that had enslaved them for these hundreds of years, and they were going to leave. So they were needing energy, and they were needing nourishment, and uh, they were to eat it in haste. You know, it wasn't to be. And you've heard me say this a lot here, and probably a community. You you were to be, you were to eat it with your loins girded, with your your uh, long uh, gown to be tucked up into your belt, so that you could run, Uh, and. so that you're, you were girded up and ready for moving. You had your staff in your hand. You were ready for action. It wasn't a kind of celebratory feast that lasted for days when you were lying on your, uh, on your elbow and eating and drinking wine and things. like that. It wasn't to be like that at all. It was a very uh, practical uh, meal at that level. And in so many different ways you can take this um, uh, expectant truth and, reply, and, and uh, apply it to the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you in so many different ways? And, and the Bible just gives us so much authority to do that. You know, it says, "The Lamb of God, behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world." John says it. For Christ, our Passover Lamb has been sacrificed. You know, not just not just any lamb. This Passover there's an amazing link, of course, between the Passover and the Lord's Supper. And Jesus Christ just takes that Old Testament. Uh, 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 sacrament of the, the Old Testament work and he applies it to the New Testament sacrament of uh, the Lord's Supper and applies it obviously to himself. And we see the, the par- this is clear parallels of the expectancy of the Old Testament and how God used this Passover hundreds of years before to prepare us for the coming of Jesus and what it means uh, that Jesus comes as the Lamb of God. He's that personal provision for us. And isn't that that great link between the personal eating of the lamb and and the Passover here and the taking of Jesus Christ for yourself? So it was a great thing. So it was a great thing to remember that personal element to salvation, not just covenantal, not just general, but it's a personal taking. There's There's the kind of paradoxical elements of personal and community and coming together and being individual. And the, the, a multitude that no man can number, but you stand before God as an individual. No one else can stand there for you. And uh, that personal uh, element of what God has done, great important aspect to your own testimony. It's not just biblical truth you're telling. It's not just the facts of the gospel, but it's what he has done for you. There's this personal element to it. I had two girls in today for lunch who have become Christians in the last year in the congregation. Neither of them have been baptized. They're going to be baptized uh, next month in the congregation. And both of them are willing to give and share their personal testimony at the front in church as they're baptized. That's a great thing. It's a biblical good thing that they're courageous and bold enough to do that. And uh, we rejoice and give thanks that that's the case. Personal testimony. This reality that Jesus is is sufficient for all, but he must be efficiently taken individually by each believer. And as we take Christ, we remember and we recognize and we know that he is there not just to redeem us, but to nourish us. And so he nourishes us in our Christian walk. So We, we recognize and see that and we recognize and also see the importance of community uh, just as it was important for the whole household to be part of that. We see the importance of sharing our faith in the family and, and the covenantal truth of that and the baptisms of our children and, and seeing that, it's, that God works in, in that great way. And, of course, we recognize him as the perfect substitute, far, far more perfect than a, a lamb that was only examined by a family, uh, which ultimately, obviously, wasn't perfect. Perfect, perfect. But Jesus is perfect. And 1 Peter one nineteen. Uh, Again, uses you know it's so good, isn't it, to just grasp what the Old Testament teaches, because it makes it brings so much more to our New Testament verses that apply uh, to these things. At 1 Peter 1:19, we are saved, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Same language, talking in the same way about Christ as a lamb without blemish or defect and his precious blood has been shed so, uh, has been shed for us so there's this great perfect substitute that Jesus is and he didn't just come for four days just in the home for four days like this lamb he was among us and with us for 33 years and very publicly in his ministry for three years he, was, he also was marked for death In the same way as the Passover, and they came in the house, they knew it it wasn't going to be the pet. It was marked for death. So, uh, Christ, from the moment that he was born, was marked for death. That is why he came. That is why he was there. And his life, in many ways, in ways that probably we will never fully understand, uh, as the whole of heaven and earth had him under, uh, it's microscope. Uh, microscope, and as Satan himself is sought to find some kind of chink in his perfection and break him and send him back to heaven, defeated and, and destroyed, even with the temptations we recognise and see and know that uh, under the microscope uh, Jesus Christ was perfect and becomes in the perfect sacrifice because he does what we can't do and he lives in the way that we can't live and then he dies the death that we deserve in the, and as a, a perfect uh, substitute and a, atoning uh, sacrifice uh, for our sins. We see the cost the great co- you know, there's some way in which the Passover Lamb spoke of cost life for a life but only in a very small way compared with the reality of The divine life for our life. You think your life's worthless? You think nobody cares about you? You love to be noticed by the world? But you've been noticed by Christ. And he's paid the price. The divine life has been given for you on the cross. There can't be any greater worth that you will ever hold than that worth. And finding your identity in that identity of being Christ. And uh, we see and remember again. Peter speaks in three, one Peter one uh, three eighteen. Christ died for sins, once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. So he's righteous, and as God looks down on us, we are unrighteous. We fail in 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 the courtroom of God, and we, and we are in the dock, and we are unrighteous. But Christ is righteous, and we receive his righteousness. Uh, because of what he's done and this life of gratitude is a life that is the only answer to the grace of God uh, so that it keeps us from grumbling about who we are and what we are in life because he is the perfect uh, substitute for us and also obviously uh, in his being slaughtered it's rather an, uh crude phrase to use, the lamb was slaughtered but that is absolutely uh, the case uh, with Jesus Christ In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our sins life for life taking the judgment that we deserve uh, upon himself and uh, that reality that we are protected and saved by his shed blood not in a kind of uh, not in a physical way as it was for the, the Old Testament but absolutely in a spiritual way uh, John I, I hope I'm not stretching the, the, uh, or the parallels and the, the illustrations too far by talking about this but when John 10 uh, John says in John 10 9 I am the gate or, I am the door uh, whoever enters through me will be saved there's surely some kind of parallel there between uh, him being the way and uh, uh, that way being uh, sealed, as it were, in his blood uh, and protected by him uh, as our Lord and Savior and from separation uh, from him and from life and from the gospel. So it's a really great truth and it's a really significant truth for us. And uh, there are wonderful parallels probably uh, undoubtedly far more than we've even mentioned uh, this evening. But I would uh, remind you again, as I've already said, that uh, we are to take this parallel of the Passover and apply it to our own lives. And we're to be people who uh, in our lives eat uh, the Lord's uh, take of the Lord and, and, and follow the Lord and serve the Lord. And uh, we're to use the parallel of eating it in haste. I want to finish with that parallel again. You know, this is how you eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. And uh, there's very much a sense in which that reminds us of the uh, already and the not yet of being Christians, that uh, we are not yet at the marriage feast of the Lamb. And as Christians, uh, our Christian life and our taking of Christ is to be done, uh, how can you say it? It, it, not to be done in haste, but is to be, we are to live our Christian lives with the urgency that is paralleled by this truth about eating uh, the Passover meal in haste. That is, we're remembering that it is what Christ has done and the suffering he's undergone is so that we can live our lives here as believers following him and serving him and on a journey with him to the promised land. So the people of God ate the Passover meal in haste because they were on a journey and they were on a journey to the promised land. Now, there's that whole question of already being part of the kingdom and yet there's much of the kingdom that we will enjoy uh, on that last great day. And, And the Lord's Supper is very much a parallel of that as well that remember this until he comes. And uh, there's a sense in which it's it's, it's to be a nourishment for the journey, it's to prepare us for the enemies and for the battles and for the barriers that we'll face on the way to the promised land, the giants that are there that uh, need to be uh, expelled before we can inherit the land. And so very much uh, our lives are to be lived as Christians with that mentality that we're strangers passing through and that we are to live our lives recognizing that Christ is there for us to nourish us, to feed us, to help us live our Christian lives. How often do we make Christ a burden that somehow we need to obey and serve as as if he's a burden, but he's there as a a redeemer and a nourisher to feed us, to help us when we battle and struggle and to help us when it's difficult and to enliven us and give us energy for the Christian world because he knows we can't do it on our own. It's a life of active service. And often, um, I think, again, in the Passover, they ate the meat with uh, bitter herbs, I think sometimes there's a lot of bitter herbs we need to deal with in our own lives um, that remind us that we need him and we continue to need him It might be the bitter herbs of past sins that we struggle with or or with uh, present failure that uh, threatens to just um, kind of overwhelm us and make us give up. Let's remind ourselves of his provision and of his forgiveness and of his grace and of his goodness and uh, As we rise from another Sunday, you know, today's been great to look at this passage and to look at the resurrection body this morning. And I hope it it inspires us to move forward and to keep going and not to give up and to to serve the one who empowers and forgives and redeems and buys us back. And this great work uh, that Jesus did expected right in the very bowels of the Old Testament. It was right there at the very core of, of that whole picture uh, of the Israelites being taken from slavery into freedom. Christ, we are free. And if we are free, we are free indeed. And may we be able to live life to the full in that knowledge and find him a beautiful Savior, ready to listen to us, ready to hear us, ready to wipe away our tears and to help us to live the life of faith, which we recognize so often as, for as a struggle. as heads. And pray before returning thanks in song. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its freshness, even though we may have read these chapters and looked at this truth many times before. Maybe we've looked at this whole story and thought, what on earth has it got to do with me? But maybe we see in it uh, an amazing God preparing a way and gently hinting towards uh, a Messiah who was to be a unique one not one that ended up being the expectation of the Jewish people who looked for a very earthly and a very uh, flesh and blood saviour, but in the wrong way. May we not misunderstand the nature of our incarnate saviour who was spiritual from heaven and who died, who was buried and who rose again uh, to return to glory and to return to the Father to be the first fruits of all who will follow him. And may we recognize ourselves in that place and may we have a longing and a desire for others to belong to Jesus too. Give us the ability to share our faith in simple ways that people today will understand and uh, will realize and see and know is real. And may you work in people's hearts and bring them from death to life. We plead for our city, we plead for our friends. We plead for this gospel that we would not just luxuriate in it for ourselves and become fat and careless about uh, the spiritual needs of others, but that we would be lean and sharp and prayerful spiritually and alive and concerned, using each opportunity that we can, with all our helplessness, uh, to depend on you to bring the gospel to bear in people's lives. We remember Richard, as he will shortly be, leading the service uh, uh, the Songs of Praise uh, and we pray and ask uh, that that would be a real blessing. We thank you for the number of people that are willing to go to that service 30 or 40 people in that complex and pray for those who are going from here to support it and we really ask that you bless that It's a short opportunity and there's not much time to share the gospel and I'm not sure how many of them really want to hear the gospel. They love to sing the songs but may We pray may there be a breakthrough to those that are in uh, the evening of their days that they would find and know Jesus and find Him to be a delightful and a glorious saviour. We pray for that and pray for them tonight. And hear us as we sing together in response to your word and give praise to you. Amen.